on today's episode of The Mythic Masculine. I was in such a masculine phase. It was like I was writing it to explain it to my own masculine so that I could support myself during my whole cycle. So, you know, it's like multiple personalities. We call it masculine and feminine, but there are so many shades to it. It's like I was writing for that part of me that wants to fix myself and set me up and look after me and protect me. And it gave me a lot of regulation and self-soothing. When I map out my months, it's like that logical part of me is setting things up. And when I have that time prior to the bleed of cleaning and taking out the kitty litter and doing all the things that are kind of like, grr, it, it does give my masculine part a sense of satisfaction that I'm looking after myself. What does it mean to be a man today? The toxic patterns of masculinity are being challenged and new pathways are just beginning to rise. In the era of Me Too and biospheric uncertainty, how might we look to the old mythologies for guidance to navigate this space between stories? This podcast explores the historical, cultural, and contemporary voices that are shaping this dynamic conversation of the emerging masculinities. Greetings, dear listener. I'm your host, Ian McKenzie. My guest today is Megan Kurtz, a writer and entrepreneur dedicated to self-care and planet care. She is the solo mother of a young son and co-founder of Evoe, an ethical skincare company based in Australia as well as the author of A Man's Guide, Navigating the Menstrual Mood Swing. In our conversation today, Megan shares the impetus behind writing her book and the challenge of making it accessible to all readers, not just men. She articulates her unique practice of mapping the seasons and archetypes to the cycles of menstruation, along with practical tips to support the women in your life. And finally, we muse on the connection between the blood cycle and this modern culture's fear of death and why slowing down just might be the medicine we all need right now. Before we begin, I wish to let you know about the Mythic Masculine Network. It's an online community of artists, activists, poets, parents, and lovers of mythology, ritual, and wonder. If you wish to dive deeper into the themes explored in this podcast, head over to themythicmasculine.com network and learn more. And now, enjoy my conversation with Megan Kurtz. Welcome, Megan, to the show. Thank you, Ian. Hmm. Would you please begin by sharing a little bit of where you are right now, spiritually, mentally, <laughs> physically, anywhere that any any way that feels true? Well, I'm on the back deck of my little cottage in uh, the Gold Coast hinterland, and this has been my space for just recovery and soothing balm on my nerves and to parent my little boy in a really natural setting and a safe community. So, yeah, I'm in a good space um, right now, <laughs> in a nutshell. <laughs> How has the COVID times been uh, for you and your family? Yeah, that's a big question, isn't it? Um, oh, well, since we're diving right in, um, 
we did lose my son's father earlier this year, and then oh. COVID happened, so it was a big, um, a big hit. And yeah, it's been a, an amazing opportunity to really understand myself on a deeper level, understand what it is to be a trauma-informed parent and to reparent myself through all my own trauma. So it's been a deep dive and it's been winter here, so it's felt right to exile and, and have that time alone in a healthy way. So now it's spring and I can feel myself coming out into the world again. So this podcast is a really great um, impetus for that. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I wanted to, so many questions. I There's to a lot, that. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it gives perspective on um, where I'm at in my life right now based on uh, sort of the short version being nine deaths or ten deaths in the last six years. So it sort of becomes this um, lens that I live life through, understanding you know, what my capacity for grief is. And every time I um, encounter grief, I tend to have this reckoning with myself, but then there's this expansion that happens. So it's like, wow, you know, whoever said there's a gift in all of this, you know, I've wanted to smash in the face sometimes, but now I actually <laughs> see that there's truth in that. So oh, it's like that surreal... Um, beauty in mm. in the messiness of life mm -hmm. well i'm touched um i also have a, a son who's mm, two two just about yeah. two yeah and, and how old was yours so son? he's four and a half um okay. wow. and i feel like we've just hit the sweet spot with his developmental phase of being able to reason and it's mm. like just in time <laughs> just in time i think i would have lost my shit um so it's been such a profound time to be understanding what it is to relate to another little human rather than parent from the top down in this kind of dominating way so it's we have a lot of equality now and um, sometimes I still pull rank and and I tell him that's what I'm doing but for most for the most part I feel like I can have an intelligent emotionally connected conversation with my four-year-old it's wow. it's awesome <laughs> yeah <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, you're in the slightly messy phase still. Yeah. So the topic of the day is menstruation, mm. uh, of which you have written a book specifically geared towards men to explain the mystery of menstruation. And exactly. I would love for you to, to share the, the full title of it um, <laughs> for our listeners. So we ended up calling it WTF, A Man's Guide, Navigating the mystery of the menstrual mood swing because there was just so much that I wanted to impart um, in that title because it is such a mystery and, and it does feel like a rabbit hole to go down there. But the WTF part is just to um, kind of connect with the confusion around it, that it's, it's relatable, it's valid that there's confusion. And I've been super confused my whole life about it. So... Writing the book was mostly for me, and then I noticed that um, the tone of it 
was less goddessy and less sciencey. It was just an everyday tone. But actually, that's not why I wrote it. I mean, I, I was studying it for myself. And the reason why I wrote it was because a male friend of mine said, can you please speak about this in the men's circle that I run? And I was like, no, I can't. No, <laughs> it's too personal and I don't understand it myself. And he's like, well, just draw a graph or something, <laughs> a diagram. And I'm like, oh, God. And I was going to Melbourne anyway. Um, and so I thought, all right, I'll do it. And I did start doing this diagram and then I started typing and it was literally in two days I had the book and and I realised I did have a voice um, that could potentially help men on behalf of women. Yeah, but mostly my motivation was for my own <laughs> understanding. Mm. Yeah. I'd love to share a little bit from you know my experience uh, as one who identifies uh, as a man and um, report a little bit of my upbringing mm-hmm. around this subject matter because in some ways I feel for perhaps most uh, men that grew up in somewhat modern, you know, in quotations, culture, mm. they probably had a similar experience. Um, mm. So for me growing up, the, you know, menstruation was very much both a mystery and something best avoided. Mm-hmm. <laughs> best a sub- As a subject matter, you know, best avoided um, to the point where, uh, you know, myself or friends would often, you know, if the subject came up amongst some of the women, this is, you know, within teenage years, yeah. we'd often, you know, may either crack a joke or, or leave the room immediately, yeah. right? Oh, it's time time to go. Mm-hmm. As if it was um, very much the domain of women. And in some ways it felt like um, that was kind of an adolescent sign of respect or some, something, mm. you know, this idea for the man to say, okay, nothing to do with me, got to mm. go. Um, but I think also reflecting, I think a deep, some you know embarrassment around mm. the subject matter and something that is again was highly misunderstood and um and again not seen as something worth looking into really mm. right for for an adolescent male mm. um and i think if i tracked the 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 conversation or the perspective of the culture at large you know if i look to commercials right you know period commercials mm-hmm. on tampons and all the rest yeah. it very much was this kind of uh you know, here's how to keep it as clean as possible or as non-existent as possible, yeah, right? Yeah. As if that was the that was the goal, right? To basically make it like you don't have it, um, which, you know, again, is, is a highly suspect um, perspective, I think, on something as deep and mysterious uh, as yeah. the menstruation cycle. So um, I would say even though even now, you know, while older and more willing to look into and to be present and, and sensitive to to this cycle for women and especially um, uh, my partner that at the same time, I still, it's still very much a mystery. And so mm-hmm. when I came across your book um, and it was brought to me uh, in the way that you spoke about it, I became very intrigued and, and excited because as you say, one, it's, it seems it's written in a fairly accessible manner, um, mm-hmm. but also you brought in a lot of interesting layers that I thought were so compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, like an archetypal layer, mm-hmm. as well as a, as well as a seasonal layer, which mm-hmm. um, which we will get into, I think, in a, in a few minutes. But I just wanted to give the listener a sense of why this conversation and how I think we will um, unpack this conversation mm-hmm. in, in the time to come. Uh, and I'd like to just leap back um, first to a little bit more about your background, as in how did you find yourself on that precipice, uh, willing to write a book about this subject matter? 
Um, you know, what was it in your own upbringing and your own, uh, you know, journey that mm. led you to that moment? Yeah, I, I guess I would have to say <laughs> self-preservation was a big part of it because I was experiencing another deep level of burnout at the time prior, you know, the, the year prior to writing the book. Um, and I was a new mum and my period had come back in full force along with all the emotions and the sleep deprivation. So it was like, oh, if I don't get this sorted, I am just going to fall off the edge here. Um, and it appealed to me, studying the cycle appealed to me because there was a science to it. And I'd been so deep in um, some spiritual practices that I'd lost my way a bit in the sense of reality. I needed a reality, very grounded check-in with biology. It, it gave me the evidence that I needed to really trust the process that I was diving into. And then I could add the layers of archetypes and and deeper sensitive stuff. Um I also felt that I needed to have a better way of communicating with my son's father because I wasn't able to explain what I needed and what was going on for me, and he had no concept of it. Um, so I was trying to find a language around that and all my other relating um, with friends and family even. Um, also just being able to optimise or maximize the energy that I had when I had it and plan my calendar so that I didn't burn out too quickly. Um, so I wouldn't plan big events on the day of my bleed and I wouldn't try and have a big important conversation with a work colleague, you know, in the days prior to my bleed. Um, and that that just changed so much in my day-to-day -day life. It basically put out all the fires that were burning mm -hmm. and then that gave me some space to actually look deeper into what was going on under those fires. Um, so a couple of years later from practicing my cycle now, I can see how much more capacity I have from having it as a, a framework to live my life by. Yeah, it tidied up a lot actually, yeah. <laughs> Before we get into the specific take that you offer on the book, um, why do you think there's such a stigma and mystery still around the menstrual cycle? Mm. And, and and I would invite even a, a bit of a mythic, yes, you know, lens as well. Yeah, uh, I, you know, I I I would probably want to lean into this conversation with the disclaimer that I don't feel that men have done anything wrong, mm. and. And the patriarchy has a lot to answer for when it comes to the suppression of women. And the feminist movement hasn't done us any favours either. So I'm sort of like wanting to have a neutral perspective. And that's probably because I've been diving deeply into my own internal yin and yang. And, and I'm feeling accountable for both parts. So, yeah, that's my disclaimer there. And... That's pretty much it, really. That it feels like there's been a lot of a lot of messiness around how we interact as as humans, and this is one part that feels quite broken. That has 
extended a long way through time, you know, from what I can see in history. And that deeper part of me that just wants us to all get along better is, is a driving force, I guess. Is that, does that explain it? Yeah, and if I might offer as well, I appreciate the willingness to look at, um, let's call it both sides of the, you know, contrib- contribution to um, the the continual shroud of mystery. Um, mm. And at the same time, you know, on this podcast, the subject matter of patriarchy comes up a lot. And yes. I'll just say that, I, you know, I, I understand why it can be used as shorthand uh, often for, um, you know, I, I'm sure you've probably read Rian Eisler's uh, The Chalice and the Blade. Um just uh, or or books that essentially are able to unpack a little bit more of this kind of um, uh, specificity around mm-hmm. the what maybe is understood as the a culture of the of the tyrant father mm. or of the or of the dominator mm-hmm. culture versus relational culture mm. um, of which I find that can be more helpful as mm. far as um, sort of unpacking again the specific cultural structures that we exist under mm-hmm. and and from that uh, lens I would say at least my read on why the menstrual cycle would remain so mysterious and often condemned is because there's something in it that is related to the cycle of life and death. Mm. Um, of which to a uh, culture of um, kind of adolescent masculine, of which the impulse is to live forever, right? Um, to transcend, to get up and out of the body, all the rest, that something that reminds us of death and mm. decay and the earth feels very, you know, um, mm. difficult to to really, um, rela- feels difficult to relate to um, yeah, right. without inviting in that other, you know, deeper sense of, uh-oh, does that mean me too? You know, like I might, <laughs> yeah. uh, that means I might die too. So to me, there's something wrapped up in that. Wow. I, at least I would, I I would make that. the case for that. Totally, yeah. 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 And I wonder what you think about that, you know, hearing of that as well. Yeah, I love that. I've actually never thought of it from that perspective. And and it always humbles me to to sit in front of men who are willing to dive into the subject from a whole perspective. It's like, oh, thank you. Like, I'd, I wrote that book and realized I don't know much about anything, you know. <laughs> And and I just have so much to learn about this. So it feels like we're scraping the surface mm. and it feels like there's been a lot of work prior to this to even get us to this point where we're talking about it in a public forum, you know. Just before I launched the book, I had a dream of someone coming up the driveway to kill me, wow. you know, for, for writing such a book. And and that's not so far in the distant memory of ourselves yeah. um, that we were, you know, we were killed for this. So it's a bit like icky. It's still got an ickiness around it. Um, and and for women to step into the empowered version of it. So, yeah, I'd, I don't encourage women to use it as a tool for manipulation either. You know, how many of us used to get out of sport because we had our period? And then, and then we've used that as an excuse to be bitches sometimes too. And it's like, no, that's not allowed. Like, we want to use this in the right relationship mm. with nature. And yeah, nature is deep and dark and mysterious and dirty and a bit scary. And it's the underworld. And the more I lean into it with support, I guess, or understanding it's not so scary like it's actually quite beautiful but you know there's a lot of concepts that have to drop away first 
and that's like a reckoning almost like a a knowing knowing yourself time mm. yeah beautiful um <laughs> Uh, reading the book, there's a quote that stuck out to me, which um, I don't know if I have it exact verbatim, but uh, you said, when a woman is bleeding, her state is to receive and not give back. And and I found that really profound, actually, because I do know as well of some uh, indigenous traditions, particularly around things like ceremony and sweat lodge, where the women actually are not, or they're asked not to be in the sweat when yeah. they're on their yeah. cycle. Um, and you know, from the outside, it might seem, oh, that's um, you know, that's unfair. They're not allowed, you know, this kind of thing. But to their understanding, was that it was such a potent time mm. that the women were already so connected to spirit and and you know, possibility that that to you know, double it up by going in the sweat seemed like whoa, too much. And so yeah, it was deeply reverential. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so so there's and also I remember one fellow. He was um, the indigenous teacher was saying how you know his partner when she's on her moon that she, you know, he would do all the meals, he would do all the cleaning, mm. all that stuff because he recognized it was like, no, no, that's not her time to be doing those things. So I just feel like I recognize that in your language. And I wonder if you might speak a little wow. more to about why that's so important. Oh. Yeah. So that's a really vulnerable part for me to share straight up around writing the book, because sometimes I think all of the, the seasonal archetype stuff will just kind of gloss over that part. But really at the core of it for me was saying out loud um, that I'm I'm wanting to receive from a man. <clears throat> so it was really um, difficult to ask. And so when men notice that, I just go, oh, you know, I feel this part of me wants to contract and go, oh, is that allowed? Is that okay? So there's there's that deep part of women that just think we have to push through. And so for men to recognize and to even actually encourage us to stop is is probably the greatest gift a man could give a woman. And I kind of had evidence <clears throat> of that with a, a couple who were struggling and he he said to me, what can I do? And I said, just put a heat pack in the bed before you go to sleep on the night, you know, she's bleeding. And he was like, really? And I'm like, yeah, just do that. And then he tells me the next day, she got in the bed and said it was the kindest thing I'd ever done for her. And she looked me in the eye and we had this intimate moment. And I was like, yes, you know, that's that's the part that just means so much for for me as a woman to, to have to be seen in that way. And it's almost like, you know, there are these women that are uh, voicing that. But even me writing a book, it was so hard for me to voice that request. So hard for me to ask for that. And I almost feel like there's this epidemic of women just pushing through. and And it's almost like we need our men to go first and make it okay for us. And even that feels hard to ask. Yeah. But it, it kind of makes sense though, doesn't it? Like that men would hold that energy for women because we need to know that we're safe and that we're protected. And, you know, that's that's what we love from our men. And and we can't drop into that deep feminine space until we know we're safe. And then once we're there, we can give so much. 
And so I sort of feel like saying to men, you know, I know we're kind of asking a lot of you to do this, but it's going to be so worth it. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. It strikes me actually that again, as I track the, the kind of cultural edge uh, of this conversation that I hear on the one hand, you describing one side of the polarity, which is this continual need to push through mm-hmm. um, to, for, for say women being unable to claim the, the rest, you know, that is needed often during this time. Uh, but then the other side of that, I think I, I recognize, which is almost like a very um, in your face kind of like radical uh, reclamation, yes. Wh- yes. right? Which is which is a sort of uh, I see photos, you know, on Instagram of like kind of graphic depictions, yeah, of the blood <laughs> and things like that. And, and yeah, and on the one hand, you know, I've, as a phenomenon, I've tried to really understand it, and, and again, as a man, to try to understand it because, um, you know, from my place, I, I think I understand because something that's been shrouded in mystery for so long or condemned and shamed, mm. then of course the. Uh, reaction to that is to say, here it is, you know, in your face. Yes, you know, in your face. Understand this. Here's a um, picture of my blood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and that again, I mean, as a man too, it's like it's not my place to to critique that at all, and I I don't mm. wish to do that here. Um, and I recognize, I think that um, what you just said there is, I wonder within that, in your faceness is also an unasked question, which is, are you willing to support me during this time? Mm. Right, which mm. which I haven't really heard within that um, other polarity as well. Right. Okay. Yeah, I, I think we haven't really known how to communicate about it, so it becomes this radical, you know, um, contrast, and and really, I I for me personally, anyway, I just feel like. I prefer the gentle, slow process and just to allow it to unfold. And even in the year that's gone since I launched the book, I've just had a much deeper understanding of my own cyclic nature. And I guess in the early days of writing the book, I was more out with it, but I still feel like it's a really private thing. So it's it's all of it. It's the yes and. It's, yeah, it's. There's so many parts. Well, I'd love to hear a little uh, of the first, maybe the scientific, you know, quote, scientific understanding of what is menstruation for, you know, the beginners uh, uh, (laughs) listening. Um, And then after that, we could move to a bit more of the mythic understanding of what's happening. But, But first, again, if you'd be willing just to, you know, say, okay, scientifically, you know, this is what happens. Yeah, so essentially, um, and, and this is, this is where it's kind of nice to have the biology because <clears throat> it gives us um, this platform of consistency. And so from a male lens of trying to understand what women, what's happening with women is it's, it's a monthly cycle. It comes around every month and, you know, a, a high percentage of the population are having this experience every month where their bodies are building up, preparing to grow a child. And when that doesn't happen, the body expels it. And it's it's one of the only um, natural hemorrhaging that occurs in, in a body without us dying. <laughs> like it's a pretty serious, um, 
yeah, hormonal chemistry that has to happen to actually purge those cells and blood out of our system. And it requires a lot of energy. And um, it's it's a consistent part of our our bodies, the way that, you know, a man has a cycle or any human has a cycle in a day. Mm-hmm. It just happens to take a month for it to to occur. So there's different phases in that 30... Well, it's, it, this is the other thing. The other disclaimer is that it's not an exact science. It never is. So um, the cycle can be 28 days, 32 days, 25 days. But essentially there's four phases where the body is building up cells to to grow a baby and then the body is eliminating those cells or getting prepared to shed and eliminate the cells. So it's basically half and half. Hmm. Hmm. And what is this connection to the moon, if there is, um, which seems, you know, to have some sway upon the cycle? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at farming and agriculture and even the tides, it, it isn't so woo-woo to have something cyclical run alongside the moon cycle Um, and if our bodies are made of you know so much water in our cells then the moon can affect and sway um, a woman's cycle and in a more of a mythical way the moon if you think about full moon and the energy of the full moon and and it's the time for fertility in the soil so that's that's actual science then when a woman is um, ovulating, so she's fertile with the full moon, um, it makes her very outward and expressive. And it's the time when she's most attractive and and the crops are are most likely to um, succeed. And I think back in the pagan era, that's when they would have their celebrations out in the fields and, and everything would get really raunchy. But if a woman is... So that's the, the sort of um, expansion for humanity kind of part of the cycle. If a woman is bleeding and the moon is full, it's usually um, represented as bleeding for humanity or feeling the wounds of humanity. So that's kind of an interesting edge. Um, but the natural, <clears throat> the natural cycle goes with the light from the moon as well like that's a whole another tangent but um if a woman wants to bleed with the uh sorry if a woman wants to ovulate with the full moon and bleed with the dark moon then it's really important for her to have the light of the moon um in her bedroom when she's sleeping at night because that's the way we attune to the moon actually and and that's been a scientific project that's been studied and proven um so yeah if you have external light happening outside the room, it can really disrupt a woman's natural cycle to bleed on the dark moon and ovulate on the full moon. And then sometimes, you know, you have all these best intentions and then your cycle just flips around and next minute you're bleeding at another time. And often women, when they're together, will influence each other's cycles. So my closest girlfriends and I, we all bleed at the same time because we're just so in touch with each other in our nervous systems. And and that can sound a bit woo-woo, but it's actually quite traceable scientifically as well. Mm. 
you know that makes me think of of like a bio intelligence when people lived yeah. in um in villages or you know in close proximity with yeah. their peoples that that they would start to sync up or the women would which just makes a lot of sense right totally. so the whole village can be on yeah. the same cycle yeah yeah and then they can all bleed in the red tent together and go away together and but it really is the nervous system as well having a big part mm. in that and how we co-regulate with each other yeah. and oh. yeah yeah. Well, I'd love for you to unpack a little then of the map that you've given um, in your book. Um, you map each um, each part of the cycle to the seasons, and then you also match them with uh, like an archetypal layer. Yeah. And I'd love for you to just unpack. I understand it's a you know you wrote a whole book on it, but if you could over- unpack a little each <laughs> yeah, yeah, each season version. and archetype for the listener, that would be that would be fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, so if we start with winter, which is the bleeding time, um, that's, that's the time when our bodies are asking us to rest so we can let go. And, um, basically I did the shadow archetype and the, the right relating kind of archetype there. So the wise woman is, is the one that I try to lean towards and, Often if you ask a woman during her bleeding time, if she's been, you know, still and got that self-awareness, if you ask her questions at that time, man, the wisdom that comes out is profound. It really is. It's right there. Like this timeless, ageless part of us can be um, tapped into. And and maybe that's where the psychic kind of... Um, you know, connection with the ancestors and things like that can happen. And that's what in those tribal times people used to really revere or really feel intimidated by was women's ability to access the source because the the layer or the veil is thinner because they're in such a vulnerable space. So, you know, if you asked a woman to get up and fight for her life, she probably still could, but she wouldn't have the energy and the resources physically. Um, so that's why we, we crave protection and support from um, masculine energy around us in that time because we're pretty vulnerable. Yeah. And so the shadow side of that is like that despairing kind of hopelessness that sort of sabotages everything. And so you might find a woman in her bleed time just being hopeless about everything <laughs> because she just doesn't have that internal fire to to mobilize mm. and that's why we tend to just want to cozy up on the couch with tea and netflix and and do some un- have some unhealthy choices but you know if you can if you can support a woman to to have that time to really dive into the deeper parts of herself it can be so profound so that's winter. It's pretty big. Um, then once we've, you know, shifted, sometimes for women, as pretty much as soon as they start bleeding, they start to feel a bit better because the build-up to the bleed can be so intense um, that as soon as that hormone shift happens, it's like some relief. It's like, oh, thank God I'm bleeding. Um, 
But then once we start to recover from that and our hormones start to increase, um, we have that kind of, oh, maybe I'll just poke my head out from under the covers. And, and it's the spring vibe. It's like the blossoms are starting to, to bud and the birds are starting to sing and you can feel that little desire simmering to flirt again with life. Um, and this is where, you know, I meant to say one of my other motivators with understanding my cycle was so that I could have more access to my sexuality and understand how I function on an intimate level during each week of my cycle, because it definitely changes. So you can imagine when you're in winter, it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to have sex on the kitchen bench. It's sort of like it has to build up to that. Um, so, so that spring woman, when she's coming into spring, it's, it's that flirty kind of feeling and hand holding and, and it's got this innocence about it. And so we call that the maiden in, in the archetypal sense. Um, and I guess the shadow side of that is the wallflower who just kind of sits there and is invisible. Um, and, and stuck in her head in the loop of the mental aspect. And I can see that in myself many times when I, when I start to come into spring, because I've been quiet in winter and just letting things go. I have this um, anxiety that wants to like, okay, now I have to do all these things and I have to plan and initiate and da, da, da. And it's like, whoa, whoa, just, just keep slow and steady and, and not get too caught up in the mental often I say to support a woman in spring it's just like a lot of gentle touch and reminders to get back in your body again and there's a shadow side to the archetype as well right oh right so oh yes it's the um prostitute yeah the the part of us that feels like we have to yeah um expose and sell ourselves short really um and and I see, you know, you kind of then cross-reference this to girls at that age in their, their lifetime, so girls who are you know, 15 to 20, and and what they're wearing and how they're acting, it's, it's all that spring maiden just trying to find some um, peace and stability in her life and getting really caught up with what the world is kind of blasting at her, so... It's quite a vulnerable stage as well. And and often I say to, to the spring maiden, you know, the young women, when you're wearing that low-cut top or that short skirt, who's it for? Like, who are you doing that for? Because the cute guy that you want to notice you is probably not even noticing, but someone else is, and it's probably not who you'd want to notice you. There's the eldership that comes as well with understanding your cycle and and how we naturally want to share that with the younger women. Yeah, you bring up a really good point, though, I just wanted to take on that, you know, I feel that, you know, adolescence is characterized, I mean, I would say, too, from my experience as a man and from what I've heard from, you know, the women and, and them reflecting on their younger years as well, that, you know, oftentimes there is this... Um, unconscious desire to to you know attach to a man or to a boy as if as a way of feeling 
you know, desired or chosen or all these ways and how yeah. the mentorship or the eldership of older women is so vital to anchor them uh, in their own being, you know, in their own connection to life and to source versus trying to find that, you know, in a, in a man often, you know, for just speaking about heterosexual orientation. But, um, yeah. but that's, that yeah. seems to be, again, like part of, like you said, a kind of mis, uh, mis-expression and not to shame the sexual purity of that, but just to say, you're right, like, who is it for? Like, is it coming from a place that, you know, actually is satiating that longing or actually um, anchoring oneself deeply in, in, their, in, in themselves? And I hear that in what you're saying. Yeah, thank you. And it gives me further clarity as well. You know, we're breaking it up into parts, but it's so that we can understand the whole. And I think that's a really big gap in um, our education as young people um, is understanding ourselves as this whole unit and how we express that in the world. Because a lot of my upbringing was, um, you know, to seek approval from outside of me and that didn't turn out so great you know so it's sort of like back at ground zero and learning the basics which is how my body works and how it works with nature so it's really you know 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 thyself 101 to start here with our biology and it, it can be so deep and and we can go to so many layers yeah so. beautiful well i think we're on summer all right so summer so, you know, we say this is pretty fun and and we do have our happy high hormones and the rose-coloured glasses are on. Everything does seem a bit easier because our hormones are really supporting us for that. And they're supporting us because we want to be impregnated. <laughs> so there's this desire to um, connect and create when we're in summer. And it's 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 a great time to utilise energy and and work work within our means um often what happens though is we overextend because we're feeling so good we just say yes to everything and as soon as the hormones tip into autumn we just crash and get really overwhelmed so there's there's a sweet spot with summer that we really want to find and the the shadow side of that archetype of the mother is the martyr and I could I really saw that play out with my mum it was just this martyr kind of a- action that would come about for her um what kinds of uh yeah what kinds of um supportive actions would a woman in that phase like to receive it's encouragement for sure like just a bravo and an encouragement for getting out there and and expressing. So definitely could be a time where you know you you launch something or you have a party or you you do something expressive in the world. The other part of that is it's a really good time to have difficult conversations. So if you know that there's something that really needs to be addressed in your relationship um, intimately or even with co-workers or, um, you know, young adolescent daughters, when they're in summer is the best time to have a conversation around something tricky because the tolerance is really high mm. and it's much easier to hear and land um, without us jumping into a, a knee-jerk response. Mm. Good to know. Good to know that one. 
<laughs> Pay attention, man. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's definitely um, more of a adventurous exploring time. Um, and you know, it's when you can be really spontaneous. So if you wanted to take your partner on a surprise, you know, helicopter bungee jump, that that would be the time when you do it. You know, <laughs> not when she's about to bleed. So it it's pretty practical actually having this insight. Mm-hmm. It it can change the whole way that you relate. Yeah. And finally, I believe around fall. So then we go into autumn, yep. So the it does feel quite shocking sometimes. Um it's sort of like who stepped on my rose-colored glasses? Why is everything hard all of a sudden? You know, just things just don't seem to work as easy as they were a minute ago. And for men that can be really confusing because you know, you've just been having this great connection and all of a sudden she's got the hand up and it's really cold. It's just kind of gone chilly. <laughs> And and we do need a lot of um, understanding of this time, um, and and a lot of patience, because women feel oh, I can't speak for every woman, but until I understood this, I actually thought there was something wrong with me. Like I thought I had a mental disorder. Like what is wrong with me? Why is this so extreme? Why am I okay and now I'm not? And it's got a lot to do with our hormones it really does if we come from an empowered perspective of that and support ourselves to make the transition into autumn it can be profound as well so we call it pmt in in our culture and i call it powerful medicine time rather than premenstrual time so it can be a really great time to do ritual and and go deep and if we're talking about intimate relationships, what what I would suggest for men is that they step very, very tentatively into that space because it's sacred. And, and if a woman has maintained or contained some of the energy of summer and she takes that with her through to autumn, it's like the cauldron just gets deeper and and it is the space where men get to land. Like I feel like when a man is really heightened from connection during summer, and that can be sexually or not, but it's usually like a lot of energy can be created. If they can then land in that woman's space in depth and ritual, the intimacy can just go so much further than ever before. And that, so that's the, the carrot that I'm going to dangle. But prior to that, <laughs> there's a lot of recovery of our nervous system that has to happen because there's been this constant, for many women, this constant jarring of summer to autumn and, and the premenstrual stress. Mm. So it takes a while to recover a nervous system and, and build it up to a state where it can transition smoothly. And, and just some of the tips for that time would be, um, to have seclusion. Like I sometimes call it quarantining myself away from mm. the outer community because I really just don't want to talk to anyone. And it's often because the filter drops. And so we kind of see things for how they are, but our delivery usually sucks. <laughs> 
So we're seeing something for how it is, but we're saying it in a really harsh way. Like I've heard myself do that many times. And and it feels like our truth, and it is. But if we can just pause and have that conversation when we're not in that reactive state, then it'll land a lot better for our our family and friends, right? So women have a lot to be accountable for too in this phase. Um, and and you can imagine how much easier communication would be if we're not just going rah <laughs> with our truth. <laughs> yes, I can imagine. <laughs> you can imagine. <laughs> and what's yeah. the archetype of this in this season? Uh, so it's medicine woman. Mm. Mm. And it's either victim or tyrant when we look at the shadow sides of that. So the victim autumn woman is like, it's all just too much. And this is when we're in the overwhelm because we've taken on too much when we've been feeling good. And then it's everyone else's fault. Mm. So we've got to remember that, you know, we said yes to those things. Um, and that's where it's really empowering to get your calendar and really work out what's going on in your cycle so that you can know what to say yes and no to. Um, and then the tyrant is when we're just like blasting without any filter yeah. of compassion to our people. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for that tour of the <laughs> yeah. multi-layered map. There's a lot there. <laughs> no, it's really, yes. really beautiful and helpful. And I'll say for me, when I encountered it in, you know, in the um, book that was sent and um, the feeling I got, which, you know, often can be maybe a cliche characterizing men is, you know, men typically seem to want to fix things, right? Or at least mm-hmm. know know what to do, what's the thing to do. And uh, that really, I felt for me, empowered a, a ability to say, oh, okay, like these are the things that are helpful during this time. These are the things that are helpful yeah. during this time. So in that sense, the fact of it being really practical, you know, was was very helpful, um, rather than yes. a kind of confusing time of like, am I doing something wrong? I don't even know. Uh, and mm. and um, I really appreciated. I think at one point you had a comparison. I think to you know, if a woman was a car, you know, what were, yeah. what, what stage <laughs> would she be at for these different seasons? And you know, again, I like that playful. I like that playfulness with that. Yeah, I did have some really amazing male friends support me in the writing of this book when I would kind of throw ideas at them and and we have enough of an honest dialogue that they can go, what? I don't get that at all. You need to make this clearer. I need more pictures. Um, yeah, I had a lot of feedback. And, and I just realised as you were sharing then that I was in such a masculine phase in my life that it was like I was writing it to understand my own yangness. Oh, no, it was like I was writing it to explain it to my own masculine so that I could support myself during my whole cycle. So, yeah, there's these – I have this – you know, it's like multiple personalities. We call it masculine and feminine, but there are so many shades to it. And and it's like I was writing for that part of me that wants to fix myself and set me up and look after me and protect me. And it gave me a lot of um, regulation and self-soothing. So when I map out my months, it's like that that logical part of me is is setting things up. And when I – 
have that time prior to the bleed of cleaning and taking out the kitty litter and doing all the things that are kind of like, it, it does give my masculine part a sense of satisfaction that I'm looking after myself. And then when I'm in that quiet time, I go, oh, I'm so glad I did all that. So glad I took the rubbish out and made, you know, a casserole or something so that I didn't have to think about food. And, you know, so that's where in, in relationships for men with women, those practical tools can be so supportive, like more than you even know it. You know, like that heat pack in the bed when she looked at him, like with tears in her eyes, he said, he said it was the most intimate moment they've had since they had their two kids. (laughs) And all it was was a heat pack in the bed, you know? Yeah. Hmm. It makes me think of, uh, I think, another point that was mentioned, I think a little bit in the book, but it spoke to um, that through the ability for men to see this side of women uh, in the menstruation cycle, that they have the capacity to connect with their own yin states. Yeah. I've also, you know, vaguely heard about this sense that, yeah, you know, men have a cycle too um, yeah. in a different way. But again, I wonder, you know, how truth, how much truth is there to that? And, and you know, what, what did you find in your own, both, you know, conversations with men and, and in your own studies for this book? Yeah, well, I think the seasons bring it back to that as well. You know, we're humans, where men are made up of water too. They're affected by the moon just as much and affected by the seasons. And and it's interesting, you know, we as a woman, I love the way men have that energy and that practical nature. And I'm guessing that men like the idea of, you know, having some quiet time and some seclusion and unplugging and, you know, just being with their own selves as well. Like they yearn for that too. So human is human and pain is pain. And that's where I sort of feel like there's this common humanity. And yes, we're talking about, you know, literal biology, but I think there is a really nice match. Well, there's got to be because we're we're here together, right? So... <laughs> We're just kind of working out different languages around how to connect. Yeah. On that point, the two, there was a chapter I read on the inner marriage that yes. that was explored a bit. Yeah, and I wonder if you might share a little bit of that with the listener. Yeah. Well, that that's the whole unit part, and and that's what I think makes the reciprocity or the that deep yearning we have to to connect with the external masculine while we have the balance with our own external masculine. That's from me as a woman. Um, And one of the things that I often do is I sit down and I have tea with my yin and my yang. And so I I acknowledge really that yang part of me that's um, taking care of business and, um, yeah, just looking after the car rego or the things that I think are, are the logical masculine type of um, actions. And then often, though, that that has a heightened kind of um, drive. Like I do feel like I'm in that state more. And so I often then have to ask my masculine to step down and just let me be in a, in a feminine space. And so I have been able to flip more easily from one to the other. So as a solo parent, as, as using that as an example, sometimes I have to just be that, that nurturing mother where my little boy can 
you know, cry in my lap, which is what most men want, right? Is to be able to cry in a woman's lap. So, you know, I have to be in a, a headspace to do that. And, and so I have to have, um, sort of like, it's almost like what I've said as well is that, that it's a roadmap or a, a tool for navigating. And if I can navigate internally how to get into my feminine, I'm, I feel like things are going to, f- feel more balanced. So the inner marriage really was about finding that balance in myself so that I could relate in a healthy way with people externally. And my focus has been parenting. Um, so I've been, yeah, self-partnering, as I like to call it, and, and acknowledging that as an inner marriage um, because that's how I want to show up in relationships with my friends and with intimate partners. So, yeah, that had to come first, the inner marriage. It really did. It's a big chapter, that one. (laughs) So the book has been out now close to a year. And I wonder, what are some of the maybe surprising, um, touching moments that you've had uh, in conversation, in sharing the book with others, maybe men, women, and, and also those that say don't identify, you know, with any particular... Uh, gender has there been also a place for them to to um, connect with this work too? Yeah, well, I think that's again using the seasons as a lens is is really helpful because it is so neutral. It's so it's such a dynamic force of nature that we can't argue with. Um, so that's been really stable for me, having that lens. Then going deeper for me, it's been. Um, looking at the lens of trauma and that's allowed me to go deeper. So understanding my cyclic nature has allowed me to go deeper and understanding um, trauma and being trauma informed. That's my own personal journey. When I, when I speak to other people out in the world, um, their response is kind of like, Oh my God, this has saved my marriage. Um, quite like I I just kind of go oh like it's shocking but it's also of course like I can imagine that <laughs> actually um and then other people have had um access to deeper intimacy and and um I think there is a lot of a lot of wounding around our sexuality so using the the cycle as a framework for deeper Sexual intimacy has definitely been there for people. Also, yeah, just mostly my inner circle of close friends, like hearing their feedback, they've always been um, like my little guinea pigs for how this is working in the world. And, and I see them applying it in business and, yeah, with how they're setting up their lives. Like they won't plan to move house when they're in winter and it does make a difference like it on a practical level it's it's really noticeable um, my sister you know she will save her big conversations with her husband for when she's in the right frame and in summer and yeah I see it play out all the time when you look at the culture at large do you do you see a parallel as well with um, perhaps a insatiable willingness to keep doing of which you know, I think is I see the the one of the primary causes of the destruction to the biosphere and all the rest that um, has this been this always onness 
right? That, that the dominant culture always needs to be on more mm. growing. Mm. And there seems to be this deep unwillingness to go through this natural cycle of which really feels like the, the natural law of life itself that yeah. it needs to go through these seasons. And so I wonder, you know, as you look out and you see, you know, a time that many have um, identified, I think, as a time of, of death and grief and endings, Mm. that um, there's some kind of parallel, I think, playing itself out. And I wonder what you might say to that. Mm. This sort of reminds me of, you know, a conversation I had with a Lakota elder one day when I was sort of feeling like I had to save the world. And um, and he said it in the most humble way, but he, he said to me, just be a woman. And I was like, oh, <laughs> really? Is that all I have to do? And he's like, yeah. That's all you have to do. And and I've been kind of pondering that simple statement ever since and um, getting to a point. Like when I think about the outer, the, the greater community, I, I just feel I, I can go into a real sadness and, um, and I've had judgment and, and all of that. I've, I've felt really worried about boob jobs and labia surgery and false eyelashes and all of the things. And, and, and I, I feel like it's not for me to even have much of an opinion on that anymore. It just feels like life is going to teach us. And if I can just sit in my own body and, and have my own awareness it's sort of one nervous system at a time philosophy and and maybe that's just how I cope mm. <laughs> I don't know because otherwise I'd get so caught up in that those big external conversations and I think this is where the self-preservation comes back in because I go I, I actually just don't have that capacity and so just managing my own nervous system and my own life and being in um that right relationship or that looking after my welfare while I look after the welfare of others in my immediate circle is, it feels good. It feels like that's, that's enough and, and it's what I can naturally offer and I'm not overextending anymore. Even with my judgments or my perceptions of the, the world and the state it's in it's like I'm just going to sit back and and I don't feel apathetic I feel hugely connected but it's just my way of managing and maybe it'll turn out to be a good step I've tried lots of other things so this is what I'm trying now in my mid-40s it's like okay let's try something else and and it's all the tools that have accumulated I guess and and this is just one of the the big tools that's been so helpful. What's coming to me is the importance of of any of the work that we're doing, particularly, you know, trying to engage with these times in a meaningful way, that there's a there's a wisdom to attuning to the natural cycles and the natural energy of life. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, often I can get caught in this too with this kind of activist need to, you know, push through and try to do it all. And there's something about, you know, fighting the ebbs and flows of life that ultimately is not that helpful. 
Um, you know, I think mm. and burnout, of course, is so common for yeah. so many who are trying to engage. And it seems almost counterintuitive to be able to slow down to, to attune. Yes. And yet that's actually what I hear is that that's where the, you know, real energy comes and the, the kind of subtle intelligence mm. of which I think if we move too fast, it's like we miss it. Mm. Right? We keep missing it and missing mm. it. And then we wonder why things are going the way they are. Yeah. So, yeah, hearing what you're sharing, again, this, uh, this, this, this slowing down to understand what is right action um, in partnership with life instead of against it. That's so well put. You should write a book. (laughs) I feel like my words are all jumbled because, yeah, there's just so much there. But I feel like you're really, yeah, you're really hearing it. So I just, it is, it's it's humbling to be around men who are willing to dive into this. And it, it does feel like it can make a big impact, but it's not in this big flashy kind of way. It's really a behind the scenes kind of thing. And one of the things for women in our culture is it feels like a risk to unplug. Like when I say to women, yeah, like day one of your bleed, you're just unplugging everything. You're not, not available. Um, and they're like, Oh, what? It's just so unheard of. And I'm like, it won't kill you. You know, you'll be, you'll be okay. Um, and, and it does feel risky and scary and, and part of our culture says, if you slow down, then the world is going to get ahead. Everyone else is going to get ahead mm-hmm. of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just such a trap. So I can honestly say that in the last six months in, in this state of, you know, self-isolation, not, not because I had to, but because I went in there willingly, I'm coming out with a greater sense of contentment which is what we've been chasing the whole, what I've been chasing the whole time is like that, that feeling of richness and contentment. Oh, if I look around, I actually have everything I want. It's like, oh, so I didn't need to build a skincare empire or be a New York Times bestseller. I just needed to do this. Mm. It's like, oh, okay. So, Mm. and so then that trust builds in myself with my own inner marriage and I, I take another step. And, and it's slow. And I think if I'm honest about my nervous system, it has to be slow. Mm. Everything else is a fake it till you make it, um, push through because that's what everyone else is doing and is what it's expected. And it's like, no, I'm just going to be a bit of a rebel here and, and do it another way. Partly because I felt so drained energetically. And because I had to. So sometimes we do get forced into these things and mothers um, will often do this so that they can be there for their children because they're losing their their shit all over the place. They're like, I have to do something, so I'm going to just like get myself together so I can be there for my kids. Like I remember at one point I was so distressed so tired. I couldn't even hold the baby. I was like, oh, you know, take the baby. I can't even hold it. And so, you know, when you get to that state, it's like, okay, I really have to sort myself out here. So however we're motivated to self-care is fine, however we get there. But in the end, I feel like I'm really getting the benefit. I appreciate that. You know, what comes to me, and maybe this is where we'll end it, is I think this recognition that 
you know, for, for one to be able to, to slow down or to, you know, step out of the kind of mad race, uh, mm. of modernity that, um, often it, 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 you butt up against all of the momentum and all of the, uh, you know, challenges actually for many, of course, to even, um, make enough, say, to pay rent or to pay the bills mm. or to, you know, parent in the absence of village. And so it sort of inevitably brings you to this structural, um, insanity, right? That is the reality, <laughs> I think, for so many. And so, uh, the interfacing with that reality yeah. kind of makes one, um, I think, grapple with, uh, the, 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 the deep system change is actually necessary, you know, yes. um, as a whole. Yeah. And so you inevitably, I think, need to sort of become an activist, but it's a question of how do we become active? I think that's the real question. And thankfully, a lot of others and, and yourself are adding to this in mysterious ways, right? Which who would have thought <laughs> a book about uh, menstruation for men could be <laughs> a deep uh, a revolution, you yeah. know, at the root of, of, of yeah. the way it is. So Yeah, because... Because unless we understand, or unless we can have that time and space to dive into that question, we, we won't come up with the solution. And so those little like life hacks, if you want, that are through the book in, in being able to navigate the menstrual mood swing um, is, is like the in-between moments. It's, if you don't have a day to unplug, you can at least do this, this and this. And and get you through, so that so that we're not burning out, so that we're having some, um, we're adding a layer of skin and and balm to our nervous system, so that we can contemplate the bigger things. So yeah, it's pretty practical. <laughs> well, well, Megan, thanks so much for your oh, time today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mythic Masculine. If you enjoyed what you heard, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing this episode on your social media. Also, you're invited to join the Mythic Masculine Network, a growing community of artists, activists, poets, parents, and lovers of mythology, ritual, and wonder. We're co-creating the emergence of a culture of belonging, oriented around tending the masculine soul. It's a beautiful, intimate platform, and I'd love to have you connected. Visit themythicmasculine.com slash network to learn more.